Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. Thanks for tuning in this week and also Happy New Year. Ryan and I wanted to do a kind of a special episode for you guys this this week to kick off the new year. Uh, we recorded a podcast episode with Sean DeMartill on the real estate takeoff. We love Sean. He's becoming a good friend of ours. This actually came out on Christmas, but we thought it was a great insight into our Ryan and I's inception story and how we got started in real estate investing a few years ago, as well as the kind of works your way up to today and what we have going on in 2023 and 2024. We figured as we kick off the new year, we probably have a bunch of new listeners that uh, maybe haven't heard our original story. We do some update episodes every six months or so, but this one really takes you all the way back as to like the reason why we started the podcast and kind of the story behind the beginning of our real estate investing journey. So we thought it would be great as the, fir- you know, the first episode that we released in 2024 to give everyone an insight into that. So this week, we are releasing a pre-recorded episode. Again, it's out on Sean DeMartill's The Real Estate Takeoff podcast that came out about a week ago. But we're excited to bring it to you. We're really excited for 2024 and all that we have in store. Uh, and we also figured that this week would just be a great uh, time for everyone to get caught up on who we are as people and why we started the, the Weekly Juice podcast in general. So we hope everyone enjoys and you're having a great week and welcome to 2024. When you have investment properties and tenants, you need a good system in place for collecting rent to make it easy as possible. And Rent Ready can help you with everything. When you sign up for Rent Ready, you can start adding your properties, inviting tenants, and creating charges. You can even set up automatic rent reminders and create auto late fees as well. For tenants, they can pay via ACH, card, or even cash using RentReady's web and mobile apps. They can also use an automatic payment setup and sign up for rent reporting so they get rewarded for paying rent on time. RentReady saves you time and hassle by automating rent collection, and you can manage everything from one dashboard. For our Weekly Juice listeners, RentReady's given us a special 50% off for any RentReady plan using our code WEEKLYJUICE at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using the code WEEKLYJUICE. That's W-E-E-K. L-Y-J-U-I-C-E to save 50% off any Rent Ready plant. All right, checking in with us out of Philly, we got Corey and Ryan from the Weekly Juice Podcast. Guys, welcome on our show. Thanks so much for having us, Sean. We are very excited to be here, man. Thanks, Sean. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So I was just on these guys' podcast a couple weeks ago. It hasn't released yet, but um, if you're listening to this, uh, we're going to be putting that out to you guys too from our newsletter so you can uh, hear a little bit about that. But um, why don't you guys start by uh, filling everybody in that's listening on uh, your guys' background in real estate, how you got to where you are today, and maybe a little bit about your portfolio. Sure. Um, I guess we'll start, we'll, we'll kick it back real quick. So Corey and I met at uh, college. So university, uh, we went to Temple University in Philly, and we shortly became really tight and ended up moving in together right after college as we started our professional careers. And uh, at one point or another, we realized like, this W2 life isn't for us forever. Like we are just going in, you know, checking in, clocking out, getting, collecting a paycheck. And then we started realizing we we're every, the first of every month we had rent due and we had to pay this guy and he would come collect 
the checks from us. And we just like this, we had conversations with him and just, we started looking at each other one day. We're like, dude, this guy is not smarter than us. Like, what is he doing? We're basically paying, paying him to not only pay for the property, but also there's no doubt in my mind, he's collecting a little something on the side, AKA cash flow. And so we decided to dive deep into the rabbit hole of how, how people are doing this and started studying real estate. We read a couple different books. I think one for us that really set the light bulb off was uh, one was set for life by Scott, Tr- Scott Trench and then retire early with real estate by Chad Carson. And we would text each other on the side all day, like throughout the workday, we're like, dude, we got to do this, started devising our master plan. And, uh, you know, I think set for life really started us to kind of change our mindset on how we were living and showed us we were spending on the things we probably shouldn't be. Yeah. And similarly to Ryan, like we knew we were going to do this together, but we didn't know how. And obviously I was 20, I remember being 23 years old and thinking I was so cool and buying a Mercedes and I had this like mm-hmm. insurance job that I hated. And I bought this Mercedes. Now it wasn't like anything crazy. It was like a four or five year old, but I was spending four or $500 a month plus insurance plus gas, whatever it ended up being like 800 bucks a month. And I realized after driving it for a while, I was like, one, I'm not cool. Two, it doesn't make me feel better. Like I was like, this is nice, but I wonder if I could be spending my money on or investing into assets as opposed to using this on a liability, especially when I was so young. And so I ended up selling it. And that kind of kicked off our journey where Ryan and I, we, I, I bought a primary residence that I was house hacking. Ryan, we moved out separately from living together. And then as COVID hit, um, literally April 2020, I was like, I want to take this to the next level. I had another rental property. We should start a podcast. And Ryan's like, I'm in because you're in, but we don't have much to talk about. Like we have a couple, like you have a couple properties. I have a primary residence. Like, are people going to listen to us? And I'm like, no, nah, not maybe not now, but I think they will. And I also think that people are going to resonate with the journey. Not like we're the end destination. We're not the gurus. We're the guys that are going to do it with you. Right. And talk about our journey with you. So three years ago was the three and a half was the inception of the weekly juice podcast. And then here we are three and a half years later. And we have, um, you know, a nice little story to tell. And uh, we've, done a number of things that we can talk about throughout the show, but that's kind of like how we decided that we're going to be podcasters. So, you know, creators, content creators on social media, and then real estate investors. Yeah. Your guys' story. We even talked about this on your podcast a little bit. Your story is so similar to mine and Mike's like it, we were working together, like slowly kind of trickling into real estate investing and then wanting to go all in. We started a podcast just like you guys, and we barely had any real estate whatsoever, but I think people resonate with that. Like when I was getting started and I was listening to bigger pockets like crazy, the people, the guests that I liked the most were the ones that had started in a similar position as me. And and even more so the ones that weren't even that far along or that much further along than me, because it, 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 I was able to learn from them. And it also gave me more confidence that I could do it. I mean, if these guys can do it, then I can definitely do it. So I think that that was a great idea to go ahead and just start the podcast and get going. Now, on the real estate side, where did you, were you guys studying like outside of those two books that were kind of the catalyst? Were you guys like in, in getting into mastermind programs or studying something in particular or just going in and, and doing it and learning from doing? We had no idea that masterminds even existed until we started, until the podcast got underway. I didn't even know that that was a thing. So really what we were doing is we were trying to find single family duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes that are close to us in, in our area. And, and we did that. We bought single family here. We did a, a, a burr and we did a, you know, a, we bought a, a cash flowing rental property. We did another du- a duplex. And as we started to grow it, we're thinking like, damn, this is going to take us forever. Like we're doing a lot of the research. We're the boots on the ground. We're trying to figure it out. 
And we slowly started to realize that like, we actually can leverage our podcast and our social media platform to help grow our network exponentially by organically networking with individuals like yourself, bringing people on the podcast that were way smarter and ahead of us, but we could bring them value by giving them a little bit of piece of our audience and people that want to listen to them. And honestly, the education factor of letting people on our podcast and bringing them on, that was what springboarded us to partnerships with people that came on the podcast, getting, uh, becoming general partners in syndications, creating a a general partnership on a fund, doing limited partnerships, and and then also owning a um, portion of a short-term rental hospitality business uh, because we got into the short-term rental game. So getting a little bit ahead of myself there, but like we realized that doing it just Ryan and I, you know, you can go far when you build a team, and that was what we focused on. So um, remind me, are you guys have quit your jobs now and are full time on the real estate, or are you still working the jobs? No, nah, it's a sore subject, man. Go ahead, Ryan. I would say it's a sore <laughs> subject. It's uh, we're we're toting the fine line of balancing both, right? We have, I think, we're hitting an impasse here, or at least I, I think we feel like we are, um, where the real estate it's formed a couple other different businesses. So it's there's multiple lanes in our real estate portfolio, and it's kind of taking up too much time. Whereas the W2, we could go and we could do our W2s with our eyes closed. We've done them for, we've been at our respective places for five, 10 years, depending on who you're talking to. And, um, so the answer is we still have our job. The answer is, yeah, <laughs> long story short, we still got our jobs. We're managing both. And, uh, eventually I think our real estate will take over and that's, that's the goal. But, um, for right now we are just kind of still leveraging the perks of the W2. I would say that for, real estate, right? You For banks, you're very bankable and people want to lend to you when they see that sexy W-2 job and the high income coming in. But eventually, um, the plan is to to move forward into this full time. Just haven't done it yet. So like from a time management perspective, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listening that are similar to you guys and they're growing their portfolio and still grinding their job and, you know, uh, maybe getting a little bit of burnout and trying to have that work-life balance. How do you guys feel about your work-life balance right now? And maybe do you have any advice for people to be able to do both of those things and try and grow a real estate business while working a W-2? Yeah, there's a lot here. Lots to unpack. I would say life's about balance. I think it's not just managing businesses, but like you can throw family in there, personal health. Um, there's a lot of different things that come with this question. But for me, I'd say um, the balance is... For us, we know we have a podcast probably Monday and Tuesday every single week. And so that's a way for for me, at least, to hold myself accountable, knowing I'm going to see Corey and knowing I'm going to see some high-respected investor come on our show. And I have to be able to talk the talk, walk the walk. And it helps me to helps fuel me to educate myself even more. So um, long story short here with like time, work, work-life balance, you either are going to have to do it before nine or you're going to have to do it after five, right? And there's some days that you have some flex days. The weekends, truly, I'm people will bash this, but I have learned to defend my time and say no. You're, they're like, oh, you should be living now. It's like, I want to be the 40-year-old that doesn't have to go to work and I have cash flow coming in and I can do what I want when I want. So I'm, gonna, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my weekends and nights now to do that and also tie in a family. Uh, we recently became a dad. And so I realized just how much time I had beforehand. And now I have way even less and I'm still managing this. So I think it is, um, it's hard for me now that I realize that people are out there with kids and it's, it's hard for people to go nine to five. And then they're like, well, I have to go home and raise the kids. So you're going to have to do it in the morning. And you have to, I think the biggest thing out of this whole thing is to have accountability partners that really set you off and make you kind of live your life with a little bit of 
um, oomph to it. So for me, I know Corey's relying on me every single day. And if I don't perform and I don't show up, I'm not only letting my family down, but I'm also letting Corey down. I got to see that guy two days a week and it's not going to be pretty if we don't balance. I think another point here, Sean, in terms of the the balance and how to manage it is like, if you look at my calendar, it's very color coordinated with Same. what is what is the business that I'm focusing on for this hour or the personal thing? Like, when am I going to the gym? When am I blocking that off? And my calendar looks like a rainbow because it's it's filled out with it doesn't really matter what the thing is. It's just, it's got to be in there. And I think that we've gotten to a point where we're really good at focusing on not only the high revenue generating tasks, but like the things that we really like to do the most. And we run our social media. It's not like we have hundreds of thousands of followers. So you're looking at it like, yeah, of course you guys run this. But you know, we, we've built a little bit of a following. We run our social media. We answer all the DMs because those are the things that we want to have our personal touch on. We really want people to recognize like, oh, these are the genuine, these are genuine guys. They're, they're doing this themselves. So I think the, the organizational tactics that we, we put into play kind of help me monitor my day. And then also knowing that I'm, I have to be accountable to Rye. I think that accountability aspect is a, is a major key because sometimes if it's just you, then you're not like, you know, are you going to hold yourself to that standard? And if you are great, but if not, I know that someone else is going to be telling me, Hey, this, we had this plan for this week. What's the deadline for this? So that's kind of a little bit of a of a peek behind the curtain there. I will also say to keep it more tactful for people because they're like, oh, dude, that sounds great. But really what it comes down to is building out the right systems and having the right apps and processes in place. And I think that's really behind the curtains. I would always hear podcasts and people would just say, oh, it's work-life balance, blah, blah, blah. And like, here's how I do the miracle morning. I get up early. I go to the gym, do all this, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it really comes down to there's software out there that you can use in any type of business that you're in to help, you know, not, it just helps, um, cut through the corners a little bit and makes things faster and you can be a little bit more efficient with your time. So just to give a couple that we use, we use Asana and it's one of those platforms where you can go in and we can highlight color coordinate who's do what tasks do today. That's how we do our podcast episode release. Who's in charge of what for social media. You can also set your social media posts ahead of time now, which is great. So if you want to batch content, batch things, batch, batch tasks, you can preset them. So there's things that you can do ahead of time that you don't have to worry about every single day when you're going to the W2 job still, like these things are preset. So they're kind of flowing and you can just kind of, you know, puppeteer them from the top. Agree. And I, I like a couple of things that both of you guys said, like for one, I like what Corey's mentioning about like the calendar and being really organized. And I think if you're listening to this podcast and growing your business, that this is something that's so simple, but it reduced my stress levels dramatically by just putting everything down on my calendar. So like and I use Google Calendar, I have my events, I have tasks, and I love using tasks for like my to-do list because it'll carry over to the next day if I haven't marked it as done. Um, but it, even though that's such a simple thing, I actually didn't even do that until like earlier this year. And when you're in a real estate business and you start to get multiple properties and you got all these facets of your business and podcasts and everything, if you just let that stuff swirl around in your head constantly and you're like counting on yourself to remember, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go do this, this, and this. And then I got this going on Wednesday. Um, and then you have a separate to-do list on your phone. It was really stressful for me, but being able to segment everything, I think is a huge tip for people listening to this because you know that, and I like to also like, I, I went through a period of a time audit um, that Hunter Thompson taught me where I would literally record how long certain tasks took me to do. And then oftentimes you'll realize, oh, that only took me 10 minutes. And I was like stressing about it, uh, having to get it done. So then I would put on my calendar, okay, I'm doing this task and it's only going to take me 10 minutes or whatever. So I think that's a, a huge tip for people out there. And then I love what you mentioned, Ryan, about 
how you're willing to sacrifice your weekends or a little bit of your work-life balance in order to expedite the process. Um, I mentioned this to people all the time because like you can have the extreme end where you're like uh, um, Elon Musk and you're sleeping at the office and you don't even like own a home and you're just like crazy about your work. And then you can have the other extreme end where, you know, you hardly make any sacrifices with your time. And I always tell people the more you're willing to sacrifice because we know real estate is going to be the road that gets us to where we're trying to go. But the more you sacrifice, the, the more you can shrink down that timeline. And so I've yeah. kind of had that similar mindset um, over the past like year or two that like, yeah, I know I'm working a crazy amount, but it's so that I can shrink down that timeline and not have to work in the future. Totally. Yeah. Delayed gratification is the name of the game, right? We, we have a lot of friends who are, we're in our early thirties and we have some friends who kind of went all out when they started to get some money and they started, and I learned this the, the hard way, right? Like I did, I did that and I reverse engineered it and I went backwards, but a lot of people were like going down, you know, getting the $4,000 a month apartment and, and it, you know, there is as much defense that needs to be played in this game as there is offense, right? You can make all the money in the world, but if it's going right out the door, the problem is, is that you're going to be stuck in that hamster wheel of, running and running and running and trying to figure out how to make more and more money. And if you don't set that standard for yourself and try to figure out, okay, I, I need to stop my, my baseline for spending needs to be here. You know, then you can consistently make more money and keep that same baseline. And that, that was partially what helped us. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know. Uh, I remember a married couple that I worked with in air traffic control and combined, they were easily making over 400 K. And I remember talking to him about investing and how like these minimum investments were 50 K and I remember him laughing and saying, where am I going to come up with $50,000? And I remember thinking to myself, like, damn, dude, making all that money and, you know, buying RVs and houses. And like, it, it's really, it, I've, my eyes were opened in a bunch of times to how many people are making good money, but they're just spending all of it, man. Like as soon as they get it and they don't even think twice about investing outside of the 401k. But I digress a little bit there. Uh, I want to get into now uh, the, the various facets of your guys' business because you alluded to how you guys got the short-term rental business going on. Obviously, you're also buying long-term rental properties. What does the bulk of your portfolio consist of right now? Yeah, I mean, I can start with this. I think, so Ryan and I have eight units between us as just that we're sole owners in. Uh, we have limited partnership in an eight unit and in a 43 unit. And then we're general partners on an 18 unit deal and raising capital currently for a ground of development project in Arizona, which is uh, a significant project, actually the biggest project we've ever done. But so part of this is that we feel like we're a little bit of like the dot connectors, right? Like we use our social media platform to grow our network. Who's the right person that we want to partner with. And the short-term rental business was very attractive to us because we both have an eye. We're, we're different. Like Rye has more of a, an aesthetic eye and I have more of a numbers look, but we love creating things. Right. And that, that's really what it came down to where we were able to rebrand an existing short-term rental hospitality business and create a new company out of it and then help grow their sales buy properties of our own within the umbrella and and also expand from 75 units to now we're at 125 right yeah so that aspect of owning minority stake in a company but knowing where do i fit in like how can i fit into this because we met the owner and we're like we love this guy like he's one of our best friends he needed help on the branding and the social media and like, how do I get my name out there? How do I market this company? And us bringing in a little bit of that expertise of like, okay, this is what you need to do to make sure that your brand pops. People want to, how do they, how are people going to find you? Redid their website. And 
by creating that ownership stake in the company, now we're helping to drive more traffic to him. So not totally answered your question on the, the portfolio. I think I did in the beginning, but that's just one facet of some of the things that we're doing. And we're trying to grow and scale that business to 200 units in the next year. Sounds like it's super achievable. I mean, I, I still love short-term rentals. I think that, uh, um, the short-term rental game is, is also one of the easiest ways to be able to quit your job. Um, I've learned that, you know, these long-term multifamily deals, like even when you're syndicating the deals, I mean, yeah, you'll get an acquisition fee, which a lot of that's, you know, you split that up between the GPs and then you still have overhead in your business that you got to cover, but you really don't make the substantial money until you go and sell those kind of deals. Here's what I would say about the short-term rental, Sean. Like we love them and and we met a lot of people who were in 2020 and 2021 were crushing it, making profits, 60, 70, 80, 90,000 dollars off one property. And we're like, yeah. wow, this is crazy. And everyone was flooding into that. And you can tell, obviously, it's a lot easier to do that on 2.9% interest rate versus a, a 7.5, right? So the game has changed a little bit. But what we realized with short-term rentals is that it's it's growing your wealth, but it's also this hospitality game that you can really separate yourselves. And we love that aspect, like showing somebody a place that they can come to. They're like, I love this space. Look what they did with this wall. Look what they did with this outdoor area. Like those are the things that we love doing. I bought a place in Tampa, Florida, and we use the fundamentals of real estate. Where are people moving to, right? Where do people want to go? Do they, uh, are they going to go to warm climates? Are they going to like having, um, you know, a vacation rental market where they can spend a lot of their time. And then using the cash flows that come in from the short-term rental, that's still paying down your loan, right? It's, it may not be as much cash flow as you were getting in 2020, 2021, but the whole idea is that you're still using other people's money to pay down your loan. The properties are appreciating and then you're having a little cash flow on the side. You can do it in all aspects of real estate. We like short-term rentals because there's a creativity side and it's not super boring. I agree. And it, I think a lot of the points you were making just reminds me of the people that would constantly like send me, you know, the tweets of Airbnb bust or, you know, news articles. And, and I would tell people like, you know, obviously there's some extreme cases where people apparently didn't make any money or something. And I would say that's probably the fault of the operator. But in order for the short term rental to not be worth it, I mean, like, yeah, my uh, I think my profits are down like 15 percent year over year from last year, like overall but it would have to be reduced by like 90% in order for it to, in order for the long-term rental to make sense over the short-term rental. So I think the short-term rental, Sean, not to cut you off, I think the, the challenge in the short-term rental game is the expectation of revenue, right? A lot of short-term rentals are seasonality. Like, so mm -hmm. you have to deal with, you might lose money four to five months out of the year on these properties. But in the months that you're making money, you're making so much that if you were to look at the full scale, zoom out at the year, you're making a significant chunk of change. And it happens in the Poconos, which is the market that we love the most. That's where we have all of our properties, some that we own, some that we manage. Uh, the fall and the spring are rough. Like our entire business is, is around that break even number in the fall and spring. In the winter and summer, we're crushing it. And so having the ability to be flexible with your business and also manage the expectations of like, well, this is September, you know, we're going to be down, but wait till January, like you're having this huge spike, June, July, August are amazing. So I think that's the difference between the mindset of going into a project, like a, a long-term rental where you're like, I'm collecting this check every month. I know what to expect with a short-term rental game. You have to kind of have that flexibility and, and know that those good months are coming. If you did all of the uh, underwriting correctly, you did the design correctly, and you put that extra time and effort into the, your hospitality.
Absolutely. And you've kind of alluded to this already, but let's give the listeners some uh, actionable piece of advice here because, you know, we've, we, we, you talked a little bit about basically setting yourself apart, like the importance of putting that effort into design, et cetera, in order to do well in the short-term rental side of the business. What are like a couple takeaways on what you guys like to make sure you do on your properties to give them the best chance of success for these short-term rentals? I'll let this guy dive in. He, he sure. loves talking about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm the aesthetic guy. <laughs> I mean, it just depends on the market. Like, for example, when we first were looking, this is just a, a cool takeaway for, for your listeners. Like, if you ever look at Orlando or the surrounding areas, a lot of the properties are branded with Disney, Universals. There's like Spider-Man, Mickey. They're insane rooms inside these properties and they're themed. And we thought that was so cool. I'm like, wow, we can create an experience for someone. That was where we originally looked. We did, we worked through this program and there are a couple of different areas and we we're like really honed in on Orlando, ended up not finding what we were looking for. But um, pivoting to the Pocono Mountains, we're now in the, I guess, the mountainscape, right? The 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 outdoors, nature people. So um, within these properties, what we are seeing is the revenue spikes exponentially if you add a hot tub. And if you have a fire pit outside there, it's for the indoorsy or the outdoorsy people, right? There's a lot of different, you're, you're taken to a lot of different plays, but for groups of people, for couples, it hits everything. People want to be out there. They want to look at the surroundings. They want to see the mountains. They want to feel the brisk air. And if you're, if we're speaking for um, the fall, the winter and, and then lake activities, we found, obviously this is probably almost anywhere, but the properties that are closer to lakefront and they can walk and they can go take a dip, take a kayak out though, or water ski, whatever is boating. Those are the ones that are really spiking. For us, we've um, we've had a couple of people on our show, and I, I the the girls over at Thanks for Visiting do a really good job of this. They they theme up a lot of their different properties. They do mm-hmm. a crazy out of the box way, so I'll, I'll let people go look at them. But for us, we'll take a specific design, whether it's modern, boho, and really try to cater to the person. You'd have to figure out the avatar that's coming into your property. Who do you want to market to, and then go all in on that lane. You don't need to focus on every like. Oh, maybe groups of five, six people. Uh, oh, maybe a two or three will will book on this weekend for Valentine's Day. No, it's like we want an uh, eight, a thirty-five to fifty-year-old male, uh, male coming in here with a let's just say a couple that's coming in here, and we know that they are going to be warm. They want the warm, cozy feel. We have the fireplace. It comes down to not only the amenities. But the marketing, I think people fail heavily on marketing. You'll see a lot of pictures on Airbnb that are not professional. If you spend a little bit extra on the professional photos and really have that window into your business, that's where people will start to come in. Then you go down to the listing, right? And and I'm preaching in the choir here. You do all this stuff too, but- Not not to the listeners, man. This is big. This is good stuff. Okay, cool, cool. So the uh, the listing was very important for us. I would go through and I'm like, wow, this is just a big paragraph about nothing. I'm not reading that. There's a way to get emojis in there and have them pop up. And I know you're not supposed to do that, but it really makes it pop off the page. And if you have it bulleted out, you're like, okay, I know this is a seven bedroom place as a fire pit, sauna, hot tub, uh, a movie theater, just little other amenities, but you highlight it. I, and then it's on the first five photos where you pull people in. You know, some people, if you can get them in past photo one, two, they're going to keep scrolling all the way through. So for us, we were really cognizant of what we put in the bio and what we had in our photos to really highlight the amenities. And then when you get to the property, I think it's even more important to showcase to ease of access. What is it going to be a super easy, seamless check-in process for someone to get into your property? They're immediately going to want to leave you a good review because there's, there's no issues to start off the front. Then when you're looking around the property, we post, um, this is just a little tip for people. 
and get these little cards, whether you go on Pinterest or Etsy and you find them and it gives you just like the house rules, maybe as a QR code and it links back to your Google page or your social media where they can find all your other properties. And some people leave little guest booklets you can read through. There's just little things. You want it to feel like a home away from home. We could get down to the amenities that you have in there. I recommend king beds for every single property because it's something that you don't always have at home. And you'll always mm -hmm. remember. Think of when you go to a hotel and you wake up and you feel refreshed the next day. Maybe it's because your spouse is on the other side of the world, but you're still in the same bed. So there's just little things. It goes down to the mattress pads. You could put little baskets out. There's, there's a million different things you can do. For us, we like to have everything uh, kind of on brand. And we like to, like I said, put those little um, QR codes everywhere and, and say like, you know, proudly hosted by Live Free Hospitality so people can find us. And hopefully then they'll refer a friend to come back if they had a good time. It prompts them for a five-star review. Um, and then you could go to the communication team. They contact them three different times saying, hey, are you having a good time at the property? If you had a great time, would you mind leaving us a five-star review at the end? It really helps our business out. Because people forget a four-star sounds good to them, but that's trash for us. And it really yeah. brings you down in the algorithm if you're talking specifically Airbnb. And I know I probably went all around the world there, but my mind is churning with all this stuff. By the way, I hate Airbnb's review system. First of all, they don't explain it very well to guests. Second of all, if you drop below a 4.3, they remove your listing. So a four is basically saying the listing should be removed is the way I look at it. It's a horrible review system and I hate it. Yeah. There's a lot that there's a lot that, that like you leave into the hands of the guests. That's pretty tough. It's yeah. And you know, people that leave a four star review might just have a few little complaints and not realize the, the impact that that review has and how bad it is. But you had a bunch of great information in, in those tips. And I think a lot of people might even be listening to that and be thinking, my God, like that's a lot of, effort to put into a short-term rental, but that's what it takes to absolutely crush it. Um, for example, like my Indianapolis Airbnb, we're crushing it with that property. And with that one, we, we took everything that we learned, and this is me and one other, uh, one other business partner, took everything we learned and put it into this property. And we, I like looking at the competition and you know all of the things you were mentioning, you can get data from all of these great data websites to find out what's working in markets and whatnot and what's there. I like looking and just setting myself apart from the competition as much as humanly possible. So we dropped a shipping container pool in the backyard and it's got a big window in it. And so it's just awesome pool. So now we show up on amazing pools um, in Indianapolis. Uh, we also have a ginormous like 10 person hot tub. So we got that basis covered. Uh, wood fire pit by the uh, pool gas fire pit heaters everywhere i mean just i went absolutely ballistic and now it's crushing it we even put the ev charger in there so if you were to search for an ev charger in indianapolis uh within the city center that has like the whatever the megawatts we got are there's only one property it's ours uh if you look for a pool and a hot tub within the city limits that can sleep i think 10 or more people there's one it's ours so those kind of things like I, when people tell me like, oh, or do you still believe in short-term rentals? Because I heard that a lot of them aren't doing well. Yeah, when there's a big supply, like if there was 15 breweries that were all next to each other on my street, they're probably not all going to do well. Um, but if you have something that's setting yourself apart and you're not just a run of the mill, I think you can still just crush it and have amazing success. And that's why, you know, guys like you are still doing really, really well with those properties because you put all of that thought and effort into the design, making an amazing experience for people instead of just throwing some furniture in a three bedroom house, throwing it up on Airbnb and hoping you make a bunch of money.
Yeah, man. Which is what I, I think a lot of people do. It's almost like kind of bring on this. First of all, people have been talking about an Airbnb bus for two years. So, you know, and I've heard a lot of uh, information that's been conflicting online. I think there's been a lot of like fear tactic articles that have been put out there. But it's almost like for us, it's like bring it on because the bottom 75% is going to suffer the most. I don't want anybody to suffer in the business, right? right? But if you're doing things the right way and you have a great product to market, you're going to win. That, that's really what it comes down to. Like, does it feel when you're there like a true experience? Like you said, if you're throwing up your, you know, you know, you're buying all the furniture on Facebook Marketplace and piecemealing it together, and you're and you're not responding to guests at the right time. Like, yeah, you might suffer, and you probably will. But the competition that driving it up, that great product, is really going to stand out. And I think what will end up happening is the people that are really doing it the right way will actually um, have even more revenue, and then. Even if there is a bust, the bottom half is what's going to feel the most pull on that. It's, it sounds basic, but I think people forget that it truly is a hospitality experience and you're in the world of hospitality. It's not like you right. can just throw up a property. Hey, come stay over for the night. Think about your competition. It's hotels. And then outside of hotels, it's your other Airbnbs around you. I There's people that go to Airbnbs specifically to stay at the place for the whole weekend and not leave. They don't want to see the surrounding areas. They want to have that one cool area that they can stay and just live in for the weekend. It's almost just like a home away from home. We have an amazing property, probably our best property under management. It is a seven bedroom, um, seven bedroom property that has a sauna, a hot tub, uh, air hockey, shuffleboard, movie theater, movie theater. It's un seriously unbelievable. And each room is themed and it's, it's kind of, it's a woody woodland area. This is a brand new build for last year. So, um, it's very modern in a way, but still tailored to the experience The some of the backdrops that you have in the wallpaper, it feels like you're literally in a forest in the room. You don't want to leave that. It's just one of those unbelievable things where you, you feel something inside when you, when you go in and out of this property. It's not like I'm just going to sleep for the night. I can hang out here. I can go into each room and I know I'm going to be occupied for the whole weekend. So that's just an added perk. Maybe they do want to go ski. Maybe they do want to go ATV or go paintballing. They're, they have things to do, but they don't have to if the weather turns or something like that. And I think you want to have that almost... I It reminds me... I, I think about Disney a lot here because it plays to all the different types of imagination out there. And mm -hmm. if you everyone's still a kid inside, right? So when I'm going to book a place, I look, I'm like, ooh, how am I going to feel if I look and stay in this place for a weekend? One thing that's really hot right now in our area are the A-frame properties. They can be oh, tiny. Those, I love A-frames, dude. Dude, they are sick. We just actually got one under where it's... So renovating it right now. We, have it, we got it under contract and our business partner is doing the renovations and he hasn't shown us what he's put together. And we already know from some of his other deals uh, that he's done in these beautiful cabins, he's put like, they've been super modern, amazing pine. And we were like, dude, you run the show. So actually in a couple of weeks, we get to go up there and see the final product. But I know some of the ideas we've seen out there, like they paint them black on the outside and then you have the, the wood I color love, door. I love the black, dude. The black A-frames are sick. That's that's my favorite. <laughs> totally. Me too, dude. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for aesthetic. It's because what, do you, what you see and what you would book, someone else will too. Someone else. It's not like you're the only person that thinks something is cool. And uh, what I really like about Airbnb now too is, and not a lot of people love this, but they have the different experiences up at the top. So like the, for you, you mentioned you popped up on one of those specific niches, but they mm -hmm. have a button specifically for A-frames. So I know we're going to pop up on there. And another one is tree houses on the 43 unit resort we can get into that we have. We're eventually down the line. Once these units are completely renovated, we have a whole I think three to five acres in the back that we fill with trees that we're going to put tree houses, glamorous tree houses up. That's and my then, dream. Dude, 
Me too. And so I'm basically putting this out there to force us to do it because it's on the table, but we just, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, like to feed all the electricity up there and things. But could you imagine staying in a treehouse for a weekend in the middle of the woods that is, but it's like glamorized and it's upbeat and modern. Something never forget. You could sit there, drink your coffee, looking out at the forest uh, while you're in the forest, literally. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning it. I got the dream. It, It sounds amazing. You can be our first guest. <laughs> oh, dude, I love house, that. Dude. Hey, when you guys go for that A-frame reveal, you got to make sure you record that. That sounds like a cool bit of content right there. So I didn't tell Corey this, actually. This is live on air. First time, uh, our business partner called me the other day, and he's like, dude, we're um, the, our photographer, he has a drone, and he also mm-hmm. does all the photography for all the properties. He's He wants to film in, like an HGTV-style reveal of the property because uh, we have no clue how it's going to shake out, right? Are so we the reveal? We're, we, they're going to film us going in <laughs> and checking out what we bought. And, uh, That's funny. It's basically, and then it'll be a, kind of like a podcast in, in a situation, right? We'll like sit down and they'll interview us like, what do you like? What do you not like? But I thought it was so cool. Remind me of Tarek Al Musa doing flip or flop, like people following him with the camera and we'll have our own little reveal and content and toss it on the social. We're excited. Oh, dude, I think that's a really good idea. Um, yeah, that sounds really sick, man. The and, and A-frames and tree houses are the two, like I've been telling people, like I've, I haven't bought a new Airbnb in about a year. But uh, the next Airbnbs I want to get, I want to focus on these unique style properties. Basically, like you said, the buttons at the top of Airbnb, whether it's A-frame, tree houses, you know, crazy construction, whatever. That's kind of the route that I want to go in for numerous reasons. But also because usually like if you're in a place where you're able to, if it's a cabin in the woods, those places typically have almost no, um, no risk of there being, you know, Airbnbs banned because like that's what people do. They rent cabins in the woods and it's not in the city. Um, how do you guys feel uh, about like the growth in these Airbnb bans happening in cities? Um, because like, you know, two cities that I have Airbnbs in it's happened. Um, has that happened to you guys yet? Have you ran into any issues? No, it hasn't happened to us yet. And I think that the preparation that you have to have in would somebody rent your place out for a 30 day stay, right? The long-term rentals is a tough, position to be in. Uh, but I think pretty much anywhere in the country, you can rent something out for 30 days. So yeah. we have kind of contingencies in there for midterm. And we feel like we're actually getting a lot of 30 day stays in the Poconos or people are coming for work there because of the remote work, this explosion, people are coming there for, I'll stay for a month. I'll work from a cool spot. I've, it, we've incorporated the same thing in our Florida properties who, you know, who don't have those types of bands coming, but I think at least we don't think they're coming. I think that that contingency of having an area that you're going into that you can also build relationships in the actual townships. That's Mm -hmm. a lot easier said than done. And we're not the ones that are physically doing it. Uh, But the property manager that we have in Tampa is doing that as well as our team are, when I say we're not the ones doing it, I just mean like Ryan and I, but our operations team is in there, we're on the board of a lot of townships. We're making sure that we that we kind of state our case that like we're bringing so much business to this area. We're bringing a lot of business to the HOAs that are in the area. You have to pay a fee a lot of these HOAs. So, kind of getting in the good graces with some of the townships, the smaller ones. The the challenge that you're talking about, Sean, are like the Dallases and mm-hmm. the um, the Philadelphias and the New Yorks and the San Franciscos, where you may not have as much of a say there. And I think that if they're more 
vacation destinations where people have already done this well before Airbnb, you're probably in a good position. Like people have been going to the Poconos to vacation or to get away from the city and and the the hustle and bustle for years. Well before our company came along, well before Airbnb came along. Same thing where we look a lot of markets in Florida. People have been vacationing in Florida since Florida, you know, since whenever since florida existed and so i think the i think the florida was invented man they <laughs> yeah yeah whatever that was <laughs> but yeah so i hope that answered your question there no absolutely uh i even think so like i have a airbnb in louisville and i have one here in san diego both that Im- implemented regulations after stricter regulations after i got my airbnbs thankfully in san diego i was able to get an airbnb permit but and then in Louisville, my property, I did strategically buy it on a lot that was zoned commercial. And if it's zoned commercial, then you're allowed to operate it as a bed and breakfast. So like I get to circumnavigate the laws. So in th- those two cases, it's actually helping me because it's reducing supply. Um, but I say that, you know, knocking on wood, hoping I don't ever, you know, lose that somehow. But like, you know, in some cases, like if you're listening to this, like in your city does have regulations, if you are able to follow regulations or still get a permit, in some cases, that's a, that could be a good thing for you. Totally. Um, One of the last things I wanted to ask you guys, though, was like regarding your pivot, you know, this is a huge pivot in the conversation, but regarding the new construction deal that you're working on in Phoenix, could you tell me a little bit about why you guys decided to uh, invest all the way down in Phoenix now? Sure. So our partnership formed from another gentleman that we met through the podcast. Actually, funny enough, um, we were we were seeking out a website. And I think we've talked a little bit about this uh, ties to once you get into different groups, you realize how small this world is. Um, and so we had, it came through a connection through the podcast, but um, it's called 10 Years to Retirement. The company's 10Y that we've partnered up with. It's headed up by Bala Krishnan. He's a former uh, tech entrepreneur from Silicon Valley. He reached financial independence through real estate while he was, you know, going through his tech journey. He had a he had a startup called um, I mentioned Peel Technologies. He raised money from Alibaba, Samsung, a bunch of other big big networks, and uh, ended up selling for multiple millions of dollars. And he realized that upon the sale of that, he's like, I actually reached financial independence way before this, and the tech company was kind of on the on the side, still running. So he's like. I'm actually better at real estate and I think that I can build wow. a bigger team and put a fund together to take this on a bigger scale. So his focus was really on multiple, like a two X, two X multiple on his deals. Right. So, um, for the 10 Y, basically the premises is a, it's a $30 million fund and there's five different deal cycles within the fund. You start with two to three deals in the hopper at once, and then it's ground up. Once you build one, let it, let it kind of, um, I wouldn't say saturate, but let it, um, season, for about a year when it's at the top of the market, year to year and a half. And then that property is sold. All the proceeds from the first investment get rolled into the next deal cycle. So it's basically you keep an investor that comes in, let's call it for a hundred grand, roughly will be a one-time investment. And then they stay with the fund for 10 years in the hopes that this exponential growth continues to happen over five deal cycles and 32 X multiples. So basically he focuses on the, or we focus on the, equity and the exponential growth versus the cash flow, which is which everyone's used to, the sold the dream of cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. He's saying, hey, listen, instead of instead of focusing on the cash flow you can't live off of now off of one to two properties, in 10 years you'll be able to live off this cash flow. Let's focus on re-rolling all of the proceeds and profits from these properties that sell into the fund and scale up as a, almost like a stacking feature over the next 10 years. 
And are they able to like get tax advantages? Like are you guys able to 1031 those deals since you're rolling them anyways or anything like that? Yep, that's exactly right. So the tax, okay. the, there's, a, there's a bunch of tax advantages. And I'm, again, I'm not a CPA. So this is something that we've talked at length with the, um, the sponsors of the deals. But to, to, to go off what Rye was saying, basically the average real estate deal cycle, and you probably know this, Sean, just average across the, you know, anytime you're, you're raising capital or you're putting a deal together is about seven years. So you have two years for the renovations and or build, and then you have a five-year hold period. The only difference with the 10Y methodology is that you're saying we're not taking those whole seven years because the exponentiality actually happens in the first two years. And then there's a linear growth period from the year two to year seven, right? And then you typically refi. You can refi it right away, or you could sell it at the, at the end of that period where that five years is where the cash flow is being distributed. Instead of that, you're saying, I'm going to go for exponentiality and then multiply that exponentiality to your build, take investors funds, put it into the next one, put that into the next one. So you're taking multiple of two, then it's a four multiple, then it's an eight multiple, then it's a 16 in theory, right? Obviously things have mm -hmm. to go to go the right way, but basically just reducing that linear hold period and focusing more on flipping property in the next property. And yes, to answer your question, there are tax advantages that come along with that because it's a fund and not a syndication. So there's, and I'll just uh, briefly touch on it because there's always two to three, there's always three properties within the cycle at once and you can share depreciation amongst all three. There's, it's basically a tax, awesome. I wouldn't call it a loophole. It's just like a tax benefit. He is so strategic with this. I tell you our investor deck that we went through and, and we had a couple of webinars too. It's 99 pages. It's a lot because it's different. People are yeah. used to the value add multifamily. This mm -hmm. is completely changing the changing the the thought of people having. He basically is setting this up as a roadmap to retirement. Instead of dumping your money into your 401k and getting that 6% every year, it's saying, here's how you can retire with real estate. Now, he goes through a whole formula and basically talks to finding out how much you shell out every year? What are your expenses every year? And then going in and multiplying that out. What's your retirement number? Do you need $3.2 million? You know, if you want the four for us, we, I think it's, let's call it, say we spend 60 grand a year. We need, mm -hmm. in theory, you'd need $3 million at a 4% clip to draw off that money, right? The 4% rule. And I might, right. have, hopefully I didn't botch those numbers enough, but people are used to, we're like, okay, what's our retirement number? And the, for us, we realized how many properties this is going to take us over the course of time to stack up that cash flow amount. So mm -hmm. just a cool way to diversify and uh, an exciting fund. And it's all ground up. Now, a lot of people have asked, hey, like, do you do any value add multifamily in there? If there's, it just depends on the deal. When it's underwritten, it's always for that 2X multiple. If it doesn't fit, it's not getting built and it's not getting bought. So if it fits into that, uh, depending on the deal cycle, then we'll go for it. So that sounds amazing. Um, especially, I mean, I'm really, I really like the, uh, have moved more towards A and B class properties anyways. I'm doing new development deals now as well. I think that it's become harder and harder and harder to make value add multifamily deals pencil anyways, especially since you've just got so many people that jumped into the business over the last five years and everyone's competing for these deals and keeping the prices pretty high. So I really like, you know, the creativity of this strategy is like phenomenal. I've never heard of anybody doing something like that. So putting something together like that is genius. Um, We're not the geniuses though, Sean, just so you know, we just fit in. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally cool though. But like, is this, uh, are you guys done like raising the fund and, and now it's just being implemented or are you still bringing people on? No, we're actively raising right now for accredited investors that are listening. If you have any interest, 
you can reach out to us and we'll tell you how at the end of the show, but no, we're, we're, we're in the middle of the fund. I think that we're about a third way through and there's, mm-hmm. there's a number of co-GPs. We're not the only ones that are, that are part of the, of the team, but, um, I think we're about a third of the way through, correct? Yeah. We're about yeah. a third of the way through. Yeah. We're, work, we're heavily working on the, uh, the marketing arm and investor relations, um, with the head of marketing, excuse me, head of investor relations, Derek. And, um, yeah, this is, as Corey mentioned, it's still open. I will just say it now too, if people don't listen all the way through, you can, a uh, quick little plug, just go to our website, juice-enterprises slash 10Y. Basically has the webinar on there, has all the breakdown of how it works. And then I'm uh, happy to hop on a call if someone's specifically interested in that. But yeah, accredited investors only. And this is our, like I said, our biggest deal, most exciting thing that we have in the hopper for the next couple months. So Corey and I are pretty jacked up about it. How, m- how much time do people have to be able to reach out to you if they're interested in this? It's a great question. So we believe with this will be fully funded in the next three to four months. So, okay. you know, I, I don't not exactly sure when the podcast episode's releasing, but figure by January or February. I'd say Christmas. It's probably gonna be done. Yeah. So they, yeah, they did a fund exactly like this, uh, or very similar to this. And it took two and a half, three months to, to put all the funds together. So I think it's gonna be quicker than we think. So I'd say probably around Christmas time. Right on. Let's get towards the end of the show here, guys, because I've taken up a lot of your time already, man. Um, either of you can answer any of these questions. Uh, first question is, what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate investing so far? So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, Is it the same mistake? You want to go ahead? Uh, there's t- I'm going to, I'm going to, hopefully this isn't too long, but I wouldn't say it's a mistake. Just one of the biggest hurdles we've experienced um, together we had a duplex that burned down. And oh, I think when you get into real estate, I wanted to bring this up because we everyone talks about successes. We've had failures too. We all have. And for us, this was the... When we got into real estate, we're like, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, your house burns down. And it's a joke, right? You think it's hilarious. You're like, oh, whatever. Like, that'll never happen to me. And it happened to us. And for the reason I'm bringing this up here is we had the systems in place to figure it out. Not only did we have each other to hold accountable, but... We had the system. We had a property manager that helped guide us through the project. We actually had uh, uh, one of our mentors, and I mentioned his book in the beginning of the show, Chad Coach Carson. Um, he had a walkthrough. It happened to him, and he had a whole episode that walked through the exact steps you need to take to if your property burns down. And we followed it to a T. And Corey actually kind of spearheaded a lot of things with insurance, but um, so you could probably talk to it. But for us, the worst happened, or one of the worst happens, and we got through it, and we made it out on the other side. I will say. For context, it was the neighbor. It wasn't our, so we owned a duplex on the corner and the neighbor, it was in February. Basically they lined the the garage that we shared together. It was a brick garage, but they were kind of butted up against each other to a lot, of, kind of like row homes a little bit. And their tenant decided to put space heaters in there. I don't know if he was working out or what he was doing, maybe living in there. And it caught fire, blew over to our house. And we I don't got, think he was working out. I think he was like, Maybe not uh, working. Out. I don't know. Yeah, it was. It's in a C neighborhood, so not. You know, we, there you go. Take it. Take who he will yeah, from yeah. that. But, but t- we got t- a call. And- yeah, something like that. So he, uh, we got a call from our tenant at like 11, 11 p.m. and, and kind of went through the whole thing. And, and funny enough, they called us, not the property manager. So we had to put the pieces together. And it was just, it was, it was a doozy. I'll tell you that much. But we got through it. Yeah, it ended up working out. I think the 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 key point there is that we. We've never really thought so highly of insurance because of how much it costed us. And now I'll get the best policy that I could possibly get on any, on any property because of how well it ended up working out for us after we kind of, you know, went through the, 
yeah, through the the mud a little bit. I think the lesson here, I guess, to get to get to the end of the the question is the lesson here is hire a good property manager that you know, like, and trust. It's hard because I know a lot of them out there are not the easiest to get along with, but ones that have experience in the worst because then they'll help you guide you through that. And then another thing was don't cheap on insurance and always have it. It's worth every single penny because at the end of the day, that that's for these reasons, that's why you're paying for it. And you always think it's just another expense, but it's not. And it could, if we did not have insurance, we would be completely underwater. Well, it's illegal, but yeah, we would. Some people do it. Yeah. Totally maxing out the policy limits. Is that what you recommend? Yeah, I would recommend getting a great broker and then obviously having a landlord policy, which was huge. We lucked out in the sense that like there was no discrepancy between who started the fire. It's not like it was like, oh, is this a faulty electrical panel in your unit or did the tenant set it? It was the neighbors. So it was a no-fault claim to us. So we lucked out. But the point is, is that we had not just an actual cash value. Like we got the amount of money that we got paid out was significantly higher than the home was worth. So I'm not exactly sure how that worked out. I think it was based on the quality of the policy that we ended up getting. We'll have to pay capital gains on it. It's a whole other story. But the point is, is we made out better than we would have if we sold the property that day. That's awesome, dude. Well, I'm glad it ended up working out for you guys because I'm sure that that was uh, extremely stressful when it first started, uh, when, when that actually happened, especially this early in your career. I'd have been freaking out. We were um, freaking out. <laughs> we were definitely freaking out. Yeah, we sound cool now because we got through it, but no, it was... Uh, we were not cool. It was not cool. <laughs> uh, next question is, how do you recommend the listeners obtain the knowledge that they need to get started in their own real estate investing journey? Sure. Uh, there's a lot here. Sorry, uh, I know you want to go in here. No, dude. Do so, it. All right. If you drive in a car or you go to the gym, which I think a lot of people, probably 90% or 80% of your listeners do... <laughs> Do you have an opportunity when you have time for your for your head to to soak in some knowledge? Uh, for me, I have an hour commute. Listen to a podcast about something that you want to go in. For us, we knew real estate. Ninety percent of millionaires become millionaires through real estate or have some real estate investments in their portfolio, right? So, like, okay, that's the key. If everyone's doing it, maybe we can find a niche. We can niche down within that. So, basically, I'd recommend podcast, podcast, podcast when you can, um, and then also one thing that I think we would have done differently in the beginning, we. We did it organically through the podcast by interviewing successful entrepreneurs and investors and getting in the same room as them by just giving them a platform. But finding a mentor or finding someone that you can provide value to that is in the space or in the position that you want to be in. And it's hard to, to find value. We had to, we, we realized we were good at marketing and that's how we plugged ourselves into certain things. We had, we had a network, we had reach. People like that. People want to share their story. That's what we found we, we could provide to other people and a good conversation. Really like Sean, we had another previous conversation. Like we totally vibe It's easy. It's easy to say yes and have an hour conversation with someone that you, that you like. And so yeah. for me, I, you can go to books. A lot of people don't like to read books. I learned I've read more books now out of college than I ever did in high school, ever did in college. And you just suck Same. it up. It sucks, but you do it. And it helps you so much because people have already done what you wanted to do. But when you're reading the books, I found that for me, I'm, um, Corey's a big audible guy because he can crank and crank. I'm more of a visual learner. So I have to see the formulas on the paper, write it down so that it gets ingrained in my brain. So um, books, podcasts, and find people that have done what you want to do and just seriously immerse yourself in their world and find value because they'll bring you up to their level and it'll go much faster than you trying to go along. 
I think that that's all great advice, man. Like like we've said on this show, and, and you just alluded to, the blueprint's out there. Nobody's making up new strategies right now other than the genius you guys are working with. There's not a lot of new strategies in real estate. It's the same thing. Like you, you can either build real estate or you buy an ugly piece of real estate, fix it up, or you make the strategies for Airbnb are the same. You can learn all of this from other people for free most of the time. And I, I love podcasts. Like I, that's still one of my number ways of consuming information. Um, you know, I'll listen to a podcast that's got, you know, one of the nation's top economists talking about, um, you know, the housing shortage in certain cities or something like that. And it sparks an idea or, you know, it's just there's a wealth of free information that we have at our fingertips now. It's insane. People didn't have this 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, you can really learn a lot about real estate for free. And I really can't stress enough if you're listening to this to heed that advice if you want to get started. So final question, guys. Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, how uh, plug one more time, how they can check out that fund or reach out to you guys and uh, also plug your podcast. Yeah. The best way to reach us honestly is Instagram. Uh, we're at weekly juice pod on Instagram. Ryan and I run the account and uh, we're always on it. We post every day. Um, our website that is just newly made. That was rise project. He's really proud of it. It looks awesome. If, if you're asking me juice dash enterprises.com and then for the fun, 10Y, juice-enterprises.com slash 10Y. That's not spelled out. That's the number 10 and Y. That's the best way. You can book a call with us on there. Uh, whether you want to talk about the fund, whether you want to just talk real estate, we're in the next six months or so, we're going to be building out a coaching program, which is going to hopefully teach people how to build their real estate portfolio using social media and podcasting. And we think we have, uh, we've done it, you know, I mean, we're not gurus by any sense. We're not, you know, um, we're not trying to portray ourselves that way, but we feel like we can bring value to, to people that are a few steps behind us. So I think that's, that's the best way to get in touch with us. We use Instagram a lot. Did I miss anything there? Got it all. Cool. Awesome, guys. That was, uh, that was an amazing podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and giving me this much of your time to, uh, to chat about all this fun stuff. If you guys are listening to this podcast, make sure you reach out to these guys. Follow their podcast. I love their podcast now. It's awesome. Plus, you'll be able to hear my episode on their podcast here pretty soon, too. So that's an extra bonus. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you so much, you guys. On behalf of myself, Mike, the whole team, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Sean, you're the man. Thanks, bro. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.